0: If you haven't uh, already done so, if you turn your Bibles to our passage this morning, which is located in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. That's uh, the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. What many of you um, do know is that my family and I have moved here to Laurel uh, from Texas, um, and uh, that was only about a little over four weeks ago. Uh, That's a distance of over 1,600 miles. Uh, This uh, travel and this move has brought back memories to our last move, which was only a little over three years ago. That move itself, however, was a a much shorter distance than 1,600 miles. Um, It was, as they say, uh, as the crow flies about 100 yards from where we were living. That's right, it was actually literally one span of a football field away from where we used to live. Although um, it was a much, much shorter distance, what it had most in common, of course, is packing and unpacking boxes. I think uh, we have some uh, boxes that we're still sorting through now uh, from the last move that never got opened from that move as well. It's very possible that maybe you've experienced this yourself uh, once or twice. Uh, I'll share with you that um, I was under strict orders back then to downsize. So I began to judiciously go through our boxes, the contents of each of the one of the boxes that I opened. As I did, my experience was sort of threefold. Uh, The first one was that I found things in the boxes that I wanted to keep. And the second thing was, that I found stuff in the boxes that I was going to throw away, that I wanted to discard. And the third thing was that I saw stuff in there that I hadn't seen in quite some time, and um, that caused me to remember uh, and to have some novelty in the things that I discovered in the boxes. Maybe when you've gone through a move, you've experienced something similar, where you see stuff that you want to keep, stuff you want to throw away, and all of a sudden, you're going, haven't thought about that in years that I needed to continue to remember. Now, as we study our passage this morning, I encourage you to consider doing something similar with this passage. Not, you know, not with boxes that you may still have at home that's either in the attic or in the garage, and I can say this here, or in the basement, right? Because in Texas we don't have any basements. Um, Hidden away, just waiting and calling out your name, saying open me, open me, open me. No, with this passage itself. And what I mean basically is your walk with Christ. Think about that. So let's begin to unpack our passage this morning, uh, which is from the Epistle of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I'd like you to please rise as we have the hearing and the reading of God's Word. Hear now God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us now. Uh, that you would help us to understand the word that you have prepared for us that has been written down and recorded for our benefit Uh, we confess holy spirit that without you we cannot see spiritual things and so we need you to give us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to hear your word pray that you would be with me as i exposit this text pray that we would be blessed by the word and be changed by it and as we pray this all in jesus name amen Please be seated. So the occasion for the writing of the Book of uh, uh, Colossae and to the the church at Colossi was so that the apostle could deal with the doctrines of false teachers. We see this clearly in the previous chapter uh, in verses, uh, in verse 4 in chapter 2. He says, I tell you this, so that you and no one may be deceived by the fine-sounding arguments of the false teachers. And only four verses later in two, two eight he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So Paul pointed out that the false teacher's doctrine to deal with the old sinful nature in the end has no value in the end, has no value. He says basically that in verse 23 of the same chapter. I'll read that for us. It says, these have indeed in an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. And so by the time we get to our passage here in chapter 3 this morning, in Colossians, Paul has already addressed the threats associated with false teaching. Now he calls us to remain Christ-centered, without looking to the world for their ideas, their counsel, their opinions on how it is that we, as Christians, are to get closer and closer to God. He does this by reminding us that we already have identification with Christ. And this association should lead a Christian to a new way of life. He does so in chapter 3 in three steps. The first is for us to continually retain a mindset that reflects a Christ-centered identity in the Lord. The second is he wants us to contrast this new life with the old life, the old ways of living, and for a need for them to be discarded. And then thirdly, it is to remind ourselves over and over again that we need to put on the new way of life by remembering who we really are. During our last move, I recall that there was one particular box I opened and found in them, on the top, notes from when I was in seminary many years ago. They were notes I had taken from class, and they were like handouts to be used as as resources in ministry uh, in the years to come. They reminded me of what God had done, how he changed the course of my life. See, these things, they were keepers. There were things that I needed to continue to keep in mind and to use. Similarly, beginning with verse 1, Paul tells us, if you have been raised. This clause assumes that we've been raised with Christ. Another way of saying this is since you have been raised with Christ. This highlights the fact that for those who have been saved by Christ, There's a reality that we have to take a stock of and it has consequences in our lives. For Paul, it is that we should have a biblically-based thinking toward life. If you will, a heavenly way of thinking is the verbiage that Paul likes to use. Paul here speaks in the past tense. I don't know if you caught that as it relates to our resurrection. That is, for those who have been resurrected. Now this, for some, can be confusing, as it doesn't make sense to speak in the past tense, as Christ has not returned as of yet. So what does it mean for us to already have been raised with Christ? In order to understand that, we must look to Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul teaches us that we were dead before we were saved. Dead meaning the spiritual state that we were in, that we were originally born under. I'll read this passage for us. It starts with verse 2 in Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Dropping down to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, did what? He made us alive together with Christ. So when the Holy Spirit regenerated us, made us born again, that event was our first resurrection from the dead. Paul says, since you were raised or resurrected with Christ, If this is true of you, then you should set your hearts on what things above, heavenly things. The orientation of how you lead your life must be defined by the Bible. You need a kingdom-focused way of life. Spiritual fulfillment, the Bible teaches, is found in Christ, not in any personal practices by the use of the already-but-not-yet paradigm, we are to understand that we are already resurrected, but also not yet. Follow that? Already resurrected, but not yet in the fullness. Saints from every generation have been and are waiting for Christ's return when we will experience the second resurrection. This is the not yet. Recognizing that we have already in possession of passports that identifies us as citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to live lives that reflects that reality. The need to connect to the spiritual realm to find some sort of satisfaction, some sort of sanity, some sort of peace resides in human beings in every generation in every part of the world, doesn't it? Dr. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, points out of the very false teachers that I had mentioned to a little while earlier. The philosophers, the mystics, taught that by their own efforts and techniques, they will go beyond the physical bodies and gain visions, and ultimately enter into the heavenly spheres. Paul doesn't really disagree with people having and entering into a heavenly realm. But he is directing us to the true and only way of entering into the heavenly realm. It is by Christ and Christ alone more recently, in our culture, I'm thinking back into the 1960s, hallucinogenic drugs were used to enter into the quote-unquote spiritual realm. Today, in what's called the emergent church movement, an attempt is made to accomplish this. Please note, not with drugs, but instead with sights and sounds and smells and, and repetitive songs. All sort of meditation techniques offer so that you can have, quote, unquote, this peace that the soul craves to access the otherworldly, something beyond ourselves. Paul corrected the church against false teaching and does so today. It is by reorienting our minds to the reality that we already have access to the heavenly realms in Christ. So let me ask you, to what have you turned to in order to have peace in life? To what have you turned to in order to have access to God? It's not in doing works. To what have you turned to in order to have access to the spiritual world? It's not with drugs or any form of spirituality. No. We must instead cling to the reality that because we are in Christ, we are raised with him. Our identity is with him. And he is now seated at the right hand of God. The position of power. The fact that he's ruling from heaven should give you all the confidence that you need in this life. Because all things go through him. All things are governed by him. And this being so, we already have access to the great king, the creator of the universe. Because this is so... We have to reorient to live lives to a kingdom-focused way. Kingdom-focused way of thinking and living. This, I think, is something that we must keep. Has your way of leading your life lately been slipping away? from a kingdom-focused life? Perhaps not lately. Maybe it's been quite some time since you've been leading a biblically defined life. Paul's summation is God's way of doing things. They're worth keeping. So as um, as I dug a little bit deeper, into this box, I found supplies. I mean, you know, typical office supplies. Paper clips, rubber bands, old pencils. Do you all know what a box of rubber bands looks like that's never been opened and it's been sitting in a box without the light of day and probably no oxygen for over 11 years and frankly a little bit more than that? It's dry, and it's brittle, and when you tug on it, it crumbles and breaks in your hands. I found wristbands to watches that I threw away years ago on top of all of this. These were things that I put on the discard pile. They were no longer any good use to me at this point. So Paul says in verse 2 that we must what? We must set our minds on things above. However, he provides a contrast as well. We are not to have our minds on earthly things. Our attention can be earthly things, can't they? You know what I'm talking about. When Paul says earthly things, he's contrasting the sinful lifestyle against the righteous and holy of that from above. Specifically, what does Paul have in mind? Well, Verses 5 through 10 make it clear. Let's look at it, and as we do, make a mental checklist, or you could write down, of what it is that you must discard, just like that old box of rubber bands and paper clips and pencils that I found. Beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here it goes. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Ready? Anger, wrath malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new life, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Wow. There's quite a few things that Paul points out on being earthly having to do with what? ungodly ways of life. And I guarantee you, the list that I just read, they're not exhaustive. See, these were native to, and and still are native, to fallen, unregenerate men. He tells us that as people who have been raised with Christ, dead to the world, let us put to death what is earthly, Is there something from that list that I just read that you need to throw out? Something that needs to be taken out to the curb, like an old dried-up box of rubber bands that you had utility for in the past? Something that when the garbage truck comes by next time, you're going to say sayonara. You see, this cannot be done without resolve. Several men uh, from our church came this last Wednesday to our men's study. It's a monthly study that we do, and I encourage you to come join us. Something very similar we talked about in our last meeting. You see, it takes effort. It takes a desire. You have to put your mind on kingdom ethics. You have to, if you will, crowd out sinful, earthly desires with something in its place. And what do you think that thing is? It is Christ, and Christ himself. You see, when you lead a Christ-centered life, the beauty of Christ makes sinful pleasures downright ugly and unappealing in contrast, doesn't it? Has that been, has that been your life's experience? You become focused on something that truly satisfies, not momentarily, but throughout all of your life. And it crowds out our sinful desires. And so that's why it is so imperative that we lead Christ-centered lives that are focused upon his majesty all the time and discard all those earthly ways of thinking. So as I got to the bottom of the box, I discovered some pictures I hadn't seen in a very long time. They were pictures of people I had the privilege of ministering to that uh, I hadn't been in contact with for, for several, several years. It brought back wonderful memories, fellowship. Some of them had passed on, gotten to glory. Some of them had grown, married, now have children. Some were single at one time, fresh out of college on their first serious job, who are now officers, in his majesty's church. Those were some of the things I, I remembered as I went down memory lane. Paul also wants us to remember. He wants us to remember something. Remembering is important because if we're going to put to death the things that we want to put to death, we have to be reminded of who we are really are. We have to be reminded of who we really are. He reminds us of that old person, you know, that old person who, who was living by the earthly ways and not heavenly ways. Well, that, that person died. That person is dead. Paul reminds us that our life is now hidden with Christ. That old person is gone. You see, that person died, and the devil already buried him. That old person already had a memorial service given by the devil himself. Oh. What a wonderful liar he was at the eulogy, he said about your old person. Oh, goodness, you have no idea. The first moment she opened her eyes, she desired everything that she didn't have. We are going to greatly miss this, sister. That person, in God's eyes, is already dead. The devil already buried that person. All teaches us that you and I died. And your life now is hidden with Christ. He's obviously not teaching us that we physically died. He's highlighting for us our separation from these forces and powers. And it includes our deliverance from the power of sin and the bondage of the law. We have died to all these powers. They don't hold anything against us. They cannot claim anything against us. See, the angels in heaven know this. The saints who have died and are before God in in his presence right now, they know this. But sometimes, Christian, the way that we lead our lives you would think that we were never introduced to this concept. See, growing up in New York City, I became a baseball fan of the, as many of you know, the New York Mets. Now, in the mid-80s, 1980s, we won a World Series and we wrestled away the hearts of New Yorkers from none other than the evil empire. (laughs) The dark force known as the New York Yankees. Now this was done primarily, not exclusively, but primarily because of two relatively young players. Darryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden, also known as Doc Gooden. Darryl was an outfielder and Doc was a phenomenal pitcher. Now, a couple of years ago, I was uh, watching a documentary that was made by ESPN as they looked back on these two really great players over the years, these gifted athletes, and um, what has become of their lives. I watched with great curiosity and with novelty as well. It was related in the documentary that both did drugs and struggled with drugs that wreaked havoc in their personal lives their marriages, their relationships with with their families, um, with their children, and they were both ultimately arrested and lost every penny that they made. These were two men who lived their lives, their earthly lives, with reckless abandon. Dwight Gooden, Doc Gooden, continues to work what they call the circuit going to signings, old-timers, events, in order to make a couple of dollars to continue to feed his habit. But for Daryl Strawberry, after many years of pain, was called by the Lord unto salvation, and then later to be a minister of the Gospel. And so he had it on his heart to go help other athletes who had been struggling with drugs. I recall one day after this event, I was listening to a podcast and it was an interview with a well-known sports show in New York City. And as they were speaking of Darryl Strawberry in the interview with Darryl Strawberry of the glory days, you know, um, the number of home runs he had, the RBIs he had, the number of hits and, and, and the stolen bases that he had, Darryl sort of graciously laughed at all of that. And, and, and told the interviewer, that guy's dead. I'm not that guy anymore. I don't know that guy. Boy, that really got my attention. I've never heard anyone say that. I've never heard a Christian say that in that context. Can you say that? Have you said that? Do you continually say that to yourself? I'm not that guy. That guy's dead. I have a new identity. We must remember that we are dead to that old man. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. He says that we are hidden, not with Christ, in Christ, the word hidden coming to us in this passage it literally is crypto, cryptos. This should not be confused with what they would use to bring Superman down. It means something entirely different. Now, you've heard of perhaps cryptocurrency, right? I think the, the most popular one these days is what's known as Bitcoin. It's called cryptocurrency. The word literally means hidden. So what Paul may be alluding to here in verse 3 as being hidden with and in God. Specifically, our lives are hidden in a safe place, much like when people find safety and security when enemies are pursuing them. I think the passage that really brings us out is Psalm chapter 27 and verse 5. I'll read that to, for us. 27-5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me, crypto, in the shelter of his sacred tent. And so with this truth, I think Paul is making the point that for the, the time period between our conversion to the day of revelation, when the Lord returns, God is continuously working at keeping us secure in our relationship to being in Christ. And speaking of that revealing, verse 4 drives that home. The verb used in verse 4 is to appear. Now, this is in direct contrast to hiding, right? So we will be revealed. The world will see Christ. The world will see us at that time for what we truly are. Can you see yourself wrapped up in Christ? Do you see yourself? in Christ. How do you see yourself? Do you still identify with that old person who died and frankly is dying every day? Do you take joy in remembering the glory days of your past? Do you identify with that man or woman? Do you identify with the person who has committed shameful acts and just can't let go of them? Those shameful acts define you. Is that how you live your life? Do you identify yourself as a broken person, a defective person that can't seem to fit in, wondering how? And what others think about you, living in silence and fear, believing lies about yourself. That person is dead. That person is dead. And you have to be reminded of that. And you have to remind yourself that that person does not live anymore. Just like Daryl said, that guy is dead, I don't know him. He has nothing with me, he holds nothing over me, that person is dead. Your identity is in Christ. Can you remember that? Can you say, I'm not that guy anymore, I'm not that girl anymore. That guy is dead. See, when when Christ returns, you and the world will see the radiant beauty of Christ's righteousness that you're already decked out in. Hmm. Look, this has major implications if you haven't thought it through. So if you live this and you see this, How do you then see your sister in Christ? How do you then see your brother in Christ? Do you see them like the old man of their past, or do you see them decked out in the righteousness of Christ? And how does that impact the way that you love them? Hmm. You know, I'm pretty confident that we all have mirrors, right? We have mirrors at home. And it sure would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if there was such a thing as righteousness mirrors, right? You know, we leave the house. After we get dressed, or whatever it is, we we make sure that everything is tucked in, the hair is in the right place, and all that kind of stuff. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we had righteousness mirrors, that every time we wake up and get ourselves dressed, we pass by the mirror and go, wow. Not because of anything in us, because of Christ's righteousness, that would be what a wonderful way that would be for us to be reminded of what we already are and choose not to live lives in, knowing that. Remember who you really are in Christ, healed, not broken, righteous, Not filthy. And then we'll work on that mirror somehow, somewhere along the way, right? Remember that you are that way because of Christ's love for you. And because of the Father's love for you, that He sacrificed His Son for you. And now you stand beautiful in His sight whole and perfect because of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you do see us this way. Oh, Holy Spirit, wouldn't you please help us to see ourselves the way that you see us, the way that you made us through the work of the Lord on the cross so that we may continue to identify ourselves and see ourselves as we really are in Christ, so that we may love our neighbor as you have called us to love our neighbor. And we pray this all.